It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Shuffling papers and everything, community-based practicing obstetrician, and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here, as usual, with the best co-host who forgot to pick up her microphone, in the business, the blisterious one, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. How are you doing? Hello. I'm pretty good. Pretty good today. So we're happy to be back. We are. With all of you for podcast number... One, we just looked it up and I forgot already. 154. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Uh, so check it out. Check us out. Oh, I got to talk fast because we're running out of music here. Check us out at drstewspodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes and your podcast app. Uh, you can email us at askdrstew at or birthingbliss at hotmail.com. At social mer- media, uh, bliss is at birthingblissmidwifery. I'm at birthinginstincts on Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook too. And apparently I have a Twitter account at birthinginstincts.com. And Blisses has a website at birthingbliss.com. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah. I remember that. What was that from? <laughs> I don't know. It was a commercial for it a was long a time commercial. ago. Wow. So a lot has happened uh, since we last recorded our podcast 153 with photographer Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, before it that, came out on my birthday. Before, oh, your birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. We had a really nice time on Wasn't your birthday. Wasn't that fun? It was a really nice time. I had so much fun. There was a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Not me, but the rest of you guys drank a lot of alcohol that night. Right. We had a lot of fun. Lots I of mean, laughs. You, you, you were drinking before I got there, and you were drinking after I left. <laughs> Great. Right. I know. <laughs> right. It's pretty good to dri- get me to drive all the way to I know, and Santa you weren't Monica. feeling well or something that day. No, probably you, wasn't you that. You thought you I weren't going to come. I just didn't want to drive all the way over the hill. <laughs> I'm glad you came, and I, I hate hope you I hate driving had fun. over the hill. Yeah, I know, but now I'm moving to your side of the hill. That's right. You've yep. got a new abode. Tell By us this weekend. about that. By this weekend. Um, I am moving into a space probably about three miles from where you moved, which I think is really funny. We were so far, but now we can see movies in the valley. Yeah, we could. Yeah, there's a movie theater I go within all the time. walking distance from my place. I know, I know. I remember yeah. that. I lived that way for five years just to walk <clears throat> across the street. It was great. Yeah. So, um, but the exciting part is that I will have an office there. So, so you're going to work out of your home? Mostly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'll be seeing clients there. So and less driving for you. Yeah, that's yeah, the intention. Yeah, because you didn't have it. You were doing all home visits. I was. And now I'll have, I have a, a package that's office visits and a package for home visits for people who still want that Well, congratulations. Luxury. Congratulations. Thank I you. have to come over with some bread and salt. What does that do? Bread and salt? Mm-hmm. Well, bread is good and salt is salt. No, but no, it's, it's, a, it's, a Jewish, <laughs> it's a Jewish tradition. Really? Yes. For good luck or yeah, abundance? I, I don't know why they just don't bring champagne and... Uh, Caviar, but it was bread and salt, so <laughs> it's for good luck or something like that. Oh, um, it, maybe we could have somebody write in. I'm sure Dr. Berlin would know what it's about. Let us know. Um, so the cool thing, too, about the, this place is it's big enough for me to host events. So I've got some events in the works in my brain. I'm going to be doing um, a community um, nutritional dinner probably once a quarter with um, some of the, our local postpartum chefs helping out. Wow which will be fun. Um, I'm going to do a prenatal and postpartum mom's meditation yoga support groups. So you're living up to the title I gave you mm-hmm. many podcasts the mini mall? ago. My what? mini mall? Yeah. 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 With every store by bliss. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also going to do a conscious dating evening dinner. What, tell me what that's, tell me what that's all about. Just people who are conscious that want to get together who are single and, and um, I don't know exactly what the format's going to be. But it's, and, it's a, an And event. for those concrete thinkers like myself, would you define conscious? Because anybody who can get to your house mm. must be conscious because <laughs> they got in their car and they drove over there. Um, people who... I know what you mean. They I, call it now I'm woke. I'm joking. They're yes. woke. Oh, I don't like woke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Woke just gets you in trouble. That's all. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. But we're not going to go there, all right? Okay, we won't talk about woke people. So I have a politics. couple things I got to bring up before we get into the yeah. stuff today. First of all, Homer is still at it. Mm, Homer. Yeah, once or twice a week. That still leaving presents under the coffee table. That would not work for I me. I know. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, but he's nothing's changing, so I just want you to know that. <laughs> and it's not because I'm not home a lot, because lately I've been home a lot. Do Although you- I have been gone the last couple of weekends, mm-hmm. so... I want to I put a shout out to the hosts of my last two weekends. First was to uh, Mother Love Birth Services in Atlanta, Georgia. Awesome. Where we had a really nice gathering for a Reteach Breach seminar. And I got to finally meet 
the fabulous, the wonderful, the incredible Brad Boots Taylor, who is a maternal fetal medicine and obstetrician who is very supportive of midwives and does breaches and twins in Atlanta, Georgia. And for that, he's awesome. taken grief, like, like every one of us who's done mm-hmm. that. So we actually, um, I actually did an emergency podcast for him one time before with two sets of twins because um, you, people can look back through the archives and find it because they were the hospital was going after him for uh, d- honoring women's choices is what how he and I would say it. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came up with a couple of nice slogans, but one of them, my favorite, is that when he talks about those of us still doing breach delivery, he calls it the runway is getting short. <laughs> <laughs> because there aren't there aren't you know because we're getting older and yeah. so uh, so anyway it was a real shout out to Cindy and to Robin and to all the people that attended that seminar and then the following week I ended up flying into Wichita mm-hmm. and uh, at the um, private womb at the, the personal farm of uh, Laura and uh, her lovely brood. Uh, I had a combined conference with Rick Safries and David Hayes, the Breach Without Borders group, and we did a two-day seminar, which was fantastic. Uh, I learned a lot from watching how they do things and bring some of that stuff into my solo seminars, but we had about 50 people, and we did hands-on, and uh, David Hayes, I have a shout-out to him. He's got more stamina than anybody I ever know. (laughs) I mean, he does all his own deliveries and pushing and all that stuff, which I can't because of my right arm, but... But uh, he's extremely patient, and, and Rixa has a wealth of information. There's probably no one in the world that knows the data like Rixa does. Awesome. So I was honored to, she was my co-author on my mm-hmm. uh, home paper. bridge paper, right? So did you just say private womb? Yeah, that's the name of their midwifery practice where the, um, oh, cool. where the house was, it's a farmhouse about 20 miles outside in, in Rose Hill, Kansas. And people come to them? Uh, no, no. Oh. She, yeah, mm-hmm. she does. Her, I think she does her prenatals there, but mm-hmm. she goes everywhere. That's a yeah, it's not a birth center. It's mm-hmm. just that's the name of her practice. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, thank you, Laura, for your hospitality. And it was so nice to be out on the the Great Plains mm-hmm. in the evening after everything was done. People people camped out. Cool. So I didn't because I didn't realize what was what. If I went there again, I would I would definitely camp out. But I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. And it, I take those days as, I, like, I want a good night's sleep, so I wasn't sure. But we, they had a, they have a fire pit, and we talked around, sat around the fire pit, and Rixa played her violin, and David Hayes played his guitar, and uh, mm-hmm. we threw marshmallows at each other's. And, we, <laughs> you know, we, it was really nice. And we saw the, it was a full moon. We saw the moon come up, mm-hmm. and we saw the sun go down, and the stars came out, and we, there was a train off in the distance, you know, that, ooh, way off in the distance. <laughs> it, was, it was so nostalgic for me because growing up in Minnesota even though I was in a suburb of a big city I still we had there was train sounds and the and there was birds and crickets and all that stuff that you could hear and it was really great it was just great and then I had a little adventure because my flight was supposed to be leaving that evening on the Sunday and uh, they pushed my flight back pushed my flight back pushed my flight back Finally, they pushed it back so far that I wasn't going to make my connection in Dallas. Mm. So I ended up getting stuck in Wichita, <laughs> which reminded me of one of my favorite movies of all time, which was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, <laughs> where, where, they, where they were diverted to Wichita and they were just stuck in Wichita. And it was just, here I was. Stu- there you were. Stuck in Wichita. By yourself. Well, no, I went back to the farm and I slept ah. on the uh, day bed in, in, the, in the farmhouse. Oh, cool. And then Laura, bless her heart, got up at three in the morning to drive me to catch the 5 a.m. flight. Wow. Which was actually 3 a.m. for us California people. And then you went to work that day. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, late in the afternoon I went to work. You're hard But I got, I got to go home and take a nap. Good. Anyway, that was great. So did you have any births during the last couple of weeks? I did have a birth. Singular? Yeah, I'm trying to think, but <clears throat> I think I just had one. It was it a normal spontaneous vaginal delivery? <laughs> it was. She almost had her baby in her pants. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> she didn't want us to take her pants off. You mean underpants, you mean? No, literally, she her... still had her pants on. Oh, she did? Mm-hmm. That would be difficult, wouldn't it? <laughs> so she was laboring, and her contractions were like every 10 minutes, but I went over there to like set up, and <clears throat> she's a multip, and, and get her antibiotics ready, because you know we're supposed to give those four hours before she delivers. So I was trying to like time that and see when the right time was, and... 
she asked her doodle, doula to come over, doodula, um, to come over because she had a really traumatic first birth, um, actually at a birth center with a midwife and a doula. But her experience was traumatic. So we were really trying to just give her a lot of extra love and attention this time. And um, so I was, I was getting that all together. And I was there for less than an hour. I still had a dress on from my day. And um, I heard her sounds change. And I went in the room and I listened and I heard, you know, the decelerations that we hear with head compressions. And I said, can we take your pants off? And she was like, no. She was laying on her side. <laughs> and I said, okay. I just thought I'd sit in the room and kind of see what happened. And then she said, something's coming out. First baby? Second baby. Second baby. Yeah, sorry, she had a traumatic that. first experience. I, I missed that, yeah. Um, and so uh, her doula and I both said at the same time, can we please take your pants off? And this time she said, yes, rip them off. And so we were taking them off as fast as we could. She flipped on her hands and knees and I could, it's not keyhole, but what's like before their crown and, and yeah, more than keyhole. Whatever. I'm, you know, I would tell you with my fingers, but you can't see me. So, um, everyone listening knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Visibly could see the right. head. Okay, peeps? Yeah, everyone, everyone knows. Um, and her baby was out in two pushes. Nice. Yeah. And but, then she. So that's what it's like to have a normal, spontaneous vaginal delivery. Because it is. I had four births last, the last since our last podcast. And yours. And none of, none of them were normal, Aww. spontaneous vaginal delivery. Well, they were, but they were all. They, three out of four of them delivered vaginally, but one ended up getting transported. And I'll give a brief summary of those. But, okay. but they were all had issues, all right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what would typically be labeled high risk mm -hmm. in, the, in the world. Right. Uh, so let's talk first about uh, uh, Joyce. Uh, Joyce had mono-dye twins, mm -hmm. all right? She did great. They were concordant all the way through. We followed them very closely. Uh, um, looking for any evidence of TTTS, which is twin-twin transfusion syndrome. Didn't have any of that. As, as, I, as I've only had one case of TTTS in the last 10 years of doing twins. Um, Go over mono-dye again real quick, in case anybody... They're identical. Okay. Just means they're identical. They okay. both have their own amnion, but they're in the same chorion. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. So they have, a, they have one placenta. It's fused together. It's just one placenta, and they have two, obviously... Their placentas are, are not communicating in general. On rare occasions, they communicate, and that's what causes that syndrome. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she delivered the babies beautifully, um, about eight minutes apart. Um, they were vertex, vertex, and it was a joy. Spontaneously eight minutes apart, or did you Spontaneously do eight minutes apart. Great. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep, didn't have to really meddle. Okay. Right. And uh, then the next one was a woman who had pre two previous C-sections. Mm-hmm. And uh, wanted a V-back. Yeah. H-back? Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. She wanted a trial labor after two C-sections. Mm -hmm. And she ended up having successful trial labor after two C-sections, which was great. She had a very fast labor. And uh, she never really was that far dilated in her other pregnancies. So that was, that was a plus. Can't be done, though, of course. It's not, you know, she was told by everybody in her community that she can't that have. oh no one does that mm -hmm. yeah no one does feedback after two C-sections mm -hmm. and of course most of the hospitals where she lives in what part part of LA she, well she lives in Ventura County mm -hmm. um, they don't even offer feedback so she had no choice she had very few choices I had a feedback client call potential client call and say that <clears throat> she asked me she's like will you deliver a nine pound baby. And I said, yeah. yeah, you know, and she said they wouldn't let me. That's why she had her C-section. She said, I begged and begged and they would not let me deliver my baby vaginally. Isn't that oh my, sad? Oh my God. You, 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 that's so funny that you would say that. All right. She write you? No, no. <laughs> but, but one of, uh, a, one of my midwife friends had to transport or, or, or I can't remember if it was a transport or what all, but she told me that if, that if a doctor doesn't say something they, stupid, they would say nothing at all. <laughs> and, and, and she said that, um, she transferred her patient to the hospital for a vacuum mm -hmm. and, uh, she didn't call me for, because of economic Cost. reasons. Uh -huh. yeah. Okay. So, um, after the vacuum, the baby weighed slightly over 4,000 grams. And the doctor says, if I'd have known the baby was over 4,000 grams, I never would have put on a vacuum. <laughs> that is pretty, that is pretty. It's just like what you said. Pretty dumb. Yeah. They won't tell, they won't deliver a nine pound baby. And on that same note, yeah. a midwife in our community delivered a 12-pound vaginal delivery to a five-foot, uh, five-inch mama. Not, was that, not was her that first. just like yesterday or the day before? No, it was about a week or so ago. Oh, okay, because there was a 10-and-a-half-pounder mm -hmm. that ended up having like 
not real shoulder dystocia, not real body dystocia, and every the baby was great, but uh, it was you know it's a tight squeeze. Yeah, this one was a tight squeeze too, but baby's good. Baby's good. Yep. Baby's great. Yep. Of course, had you known that the baby was twelve pounds beforehand, would you still have let her labor? Right. Would you? Would, would, would I? Would Bliss have oh. taken her on? <laughs> Probably not. Twelve pounds. Probably not. Yeah. Say no. Okay, no. Okay. I can say no. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. yeah. That's no. I'm sure some of our listeners are like pulling their hair out now because I just said no. But the problem is, you never know because estimated fetal weights are so Off. awful. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank God that this doctor didn't know that this baby was four thousand grams because which is what grams? I'm bad. Uh, slightly. It's uh, thirty. It's just under nine. It's like eight fourteen. Yeah. Eight pounds fourteen. That was my baby size. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, Maddie was eight four. No. Okay. So the next one was really interesting because, and this one's all over Facebook and Instagram because this was a type one diabetic. Mm-hmm. You saw that post, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Who had a vaginal delivery with her first kid many years, like 12, 14 years ago, and then uh, ended up having a C-section for fetal distress. Yeah, maybe some iatrogenic stuff going on there, but fetal distress with her second kid. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to have a V-back. And of course, no one's going to do a V-back on some... Uh, I mean, they're going to do a VBAC on her, maybe, but they're going to want to induce her at 38 weeks because she's a type 1 diabetic. And that's that's because the baby... That's the standard of care, Mm -hmm. all right? But we followed her very closely through her pregnancy, and the baby wasn't... uh, I mean, the baby was on the large size, but not excessively large, although (laughs) it turned out the baby ended up weighing 9 pounds, 14 ounces. But she'd already had a vaginal delivery before. Mm -hmm. And so we watched her sugars very carefully and we had donor milk in the freezer at the house Mm -hmm. because the biggest concern would be after you clamp the cord or the placenta comes out um, that the baby could end up having a slightly hypoglycemic episode. Right. And um, so she got to complete. She pushed the baby out. was not, not, I mean, it's hard for her, not hard for, wasn't a hard delivery from our aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything was great. Apgars were great. Baby was on the breast, never had any hypoglycemia, but we immediately, when the baby was on the breast, we did a little bit of that, uh, I don't know, that syringe with a little tube, and we mm-hmm. gave the baby about three, four cc's of, of breast milk, frozen breast milk, and we did it, we had him repeat it every hour or two. Just through, prophylactically. Through, through the night, yep. We didn't want to mm-hmm. take any chances. Mm-hmm. We did check one blood sugar on the baby afterwards, and it was 65, which is a perfectly normal blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And the baby never turned a hair, and so she got the birth that she wanted, which Great. she never... Never would have gotten in the hospital setting. And again, it's against community standards to obviously deliver a diabetic outside of the hospital because no one would even think out of the box to do it. But if if the only real reason you're doing it is because either her sugars will get out of control in labor, in which case you can give her insulin or you could transfer her, mm-hmm. or because the baby might be hypoglycemic afterwards and you can manage that at home. And if we couldn't, theoretically, then we'd have to transfer the baby. Did you test her sugars? The mom threw out labor. She had a one of those things implanted in her. She had a continuous thing on her phone. She could read it out. Oh. And her sugar throughout labor was in the 90s to 110s. And then in the active in the, in the transition, it got to 120s. And when she started pushing it, it went all the way up to 140. So we actually have her gave, gave her a dose of, of uh, sub-Q uh, regular insulin. Um, and still at the birth, it was 140, which is higher than we'd like. We'd like mm-hmm. to see it around 120 or less mm-hmm. um, at birth. So that's why we were ready to go with the milk. And it all worked out great. Great. Congratulations Thank for you. everyone. And then we had a breach um, that made it to complete, like so many of my breaches do. And then the contractions just went uh, went away. They just went away. And we waited hours. Mm. And at some point, we just decided that that was... Outside of the norm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we, and... The, what the station thing, was the baby? Uh, still high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like minus one. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't really matter. You can't, you're not going to put anything on the baby or pull it it's out. True. Or you know, you need contractions and no one's going to give her Pitocin. So we called, uh, mm-hmm. she had local Kaiser. So I called the Kaiser physician. Well, I called the charge nurse and she put me on with the Kaiser physician. And I said, I have a lady here who's completely dilated and she's breech. And bleed my breach, what, 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 what? And she got all upset. And I said, calm down. 
calm down. And I actually said, calm down to her. I said, I'm not bringing you a train wreck because I knew exactly what she's thinking because mm-hmm. I've, be, <laughs> I've been on that end of the, of the, rece- on the receiving end. So, mm-hmm. um, and she was rather, when we got to the hospital, she was rather abrupt and everything. And, and you know, it turned out they were very busy on the unit, but her bedside manner was not great. Mm-hmm. But she it rem- wasn't happy But it reminds it. me, and maybe I've done this on the podcast before, but it reminds me of the opening scene of uh, Bug's Life. If you've ever seen A Bug's Life, everybody's seen A Bug's Life. The opening scene, the answer all in the line, bringing the food offering to the big stack of offering. Mm-hmm. And off of the tree comes this leaf and it comes floating down and it gets in the middle of the line and the ants behind the line are all panicked. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? There's a leaf. Oh, we're, we can't see the line, blah, blah, blah. And then one ant just stands up and says, calm down. We'll go around the leaf okay <laughs> and that's sort of what i felt like immediately clicked in my head when i'm talking to this physician and i'm you know i understand i mean first of all she's over probably overwhelmed with work she's probably the only one on and also but breached the idea that breach strikes fear into people no matter mm. when it happens or where it happens or in the calmest tones i was talking to her and you know it was it just it's like a Chinese fire drill. It's like everybody gets really excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the only time I've ever heard a really a nice story about that is is in the uh, Heads Up documentary where Morena Baccarin is talking about how she went to Glendale Adventist and she says, my water broke, there's meconium, I'm breached. And the nurse says, oh, you must be with Dr. Wu. <laughs> okay, we'll call him and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and that was, you know, it's like, okay, they expect it because they know it's the norm because they've seen it before. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really want to try to do. That's what Breach Without Borders is trying to do and, and the reteach breach thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Is we're trying to restore the normalcy of it. I would like to say a, a shout out to uh, one, the one doctor that was at the Kansas Breach uh, workshop was Jonathan. And I admire him so much because Yay. he's a young guy. He's got six kids. Mm. And he's an OBGYN working you know, in a large group at a local hospital and, and right in Wichita. And he was the only doctor that came. Mm. Right. So we had a really good talk. We spent lunch together one day and just chatted. So that was that's great. That's good. So that's my birth stories. Okay, so what else you got? I did want to tell you something. All right. I went back and listened to your very first podcast ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was it like? You had different music, first oh, of no, all. Oh, no, yeah, I had the music for Thor. Yeah, I was like, oh, this music is Yeah, different. I changed it. Uh, I can't remember when I changed it, but... <laughs> And um, I John, was John may remember when I changed it. I don't you know. You were. I, I wasn't there. I was going to say you've been Randy? around the whole uh, time. No, yeah, that yeah. there was somebody else. It was Randy was doing it first. So. Yeah, and I noticed that you guys announced Randy as part of the intro. Yeah. So I wish to start doing that. <laughs> well, Randy, Randy had a microphone, so he, Randy could chime in. Well, John doesn't. John really doesn't, doesn't want a microphone. <laughs> And he's low yeah, key. Yeah, he's very low key. Um, but he's really good. And then does. it was interesting to like just hear like, you know, how Brian was like asking questions and like he would kind of reintroduce you multiple times through the Yeah, cuz cuz he, he, he it was almost like we were going to commercial break and he was coming back because <laughs> that's cuz that's his job, you yeah, know, he's, he's a radio talk it. show. Yeah, so. yeah. Um so that was fun. Just that was fun. Like I, know, I, I would back. love to I would love to do that. I think that's a good idea. Listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll do it. You could al- we could also have Renee like re redo it, like replay it as like you know well, maybe yeah, when we get to well, like three hundred or whatever. yeah. But people could go back and listen to it. <laughs> they could. You know, just listen to it. If you're listening to this podcast now, there's your homework. You have to go and listen to podcast number, <laughs> number one. one. Right. Yeah. Um. The- so that yeah. But that's it. I think that's all my. Okay. News. Well, I got I got some uh, I know got s- some lot. funny stuff to the, the things I want to talk to you about a little bit. So these are just thoughts that came to me over the last couple of weeks. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in Washington. We're not really talking about politics here. But I always wonder when, the, when legislatures are, legislators are on the committees are interviewing witnesses, the witnesses are under oath, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How, come the le- how come the questioners are not under oath? They're supposed to be. No, they're not. Well, I mean, they have like their, their duty, their duty to Yeah, be, but you yeah. Know, they should swear that what they're telling is the truth, the, 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 the truth, the whole truth. Because they often make statements before they finally get to a question. Mm-hmm. But their statement doesn't have to be true. Yet if the witness answers something that's not true, that's perjury. Right. So I think, I think we should fix that. Okay, that's that. Um, <laughs> here's a good one. Why do we measure the baby after birth? Well, we talked about this. We did talk about this on well, the podcast? We talked about the chest. Oh, we did? Yeah. Oh, then how come I have it down again? <laughs> 
Maybe we didn't talk about it. Yet. I Maybe think you I might, and I just I think, talked about it. I think it. I might have just talked about it with you because this four oh. weeks ago. I mean, I okay. Think... Well, let's talk about it. Um, I looked it up. Okay. Yeah. So we were talking specifically about why do we measure the baby's chest? Because you said in someone chest from, and abdomen from right. from another country and length. Like right? why, why do we care? Because we want to know how they are growing. First of all, when 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 they go to the pediatrician, they want to know where they started and how they're growing. That's part of their evaluation of how they're doing. Weight. And well, weight I get. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Length. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because then you know the baby is continuing to grow, just like we measure the, babies. Is the baby going to shrink between its birth and two weeks out from its its length? Is that going to change? Um, their length might change a little bit, really? but not shrink. No, it's not, not going to shrink. shrink. Yeah, but they might they might grow a little bit. Right. Yeah. So what? <laughs> I'm just saying, all these things take take time away from skin to skin and mother baby. True. Because here I am struggling with the with the with the tape measure, mm -hmm. trying to slide it behind without hurting the baby, slide it under the back, and bring it around to the nipples and measure the chest, and then then we move it down to the abdomen. It's like, well, well I mean, if the baby eyeballing looks n normal, even if it doesn't, but if it looks normal, no one's going to really ever look at those numbers, really. Do the baby? Do they measure the chest and abdomen at a at a well baby visit? Um, I haven't, I, I haven't I'm been sure to, that I've been to one in twenty two years. So I because don't know. Um, in my postpartum visits, it's part of the assessment, and I don't measure them again because I don't I don't see the point in that besides weight. But it is something that's kind of normal well baby. I would I would assume that they do, but it, I get your point, and I think in other countries, I'm sure that they don't spend time doing that. They probably weigh the baby, and that's it. Okay, here's one from listener Carol. She just says, she was asked recently, when uh, she was a pregnant woman, she was asked by the nurse, do you have any other medical problems? And, the, and so the, Carol says to the nurse, well, what's the first one? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty funny, don't you? <laughs> Being pregnant, is that the first medical problem? <laughs> right. But it's interesting, when you think about it, that's just the way it's said. Mm -hmm. You know, and I even, I think I even do that when I'm taking the history, past medical history. Do you have any other medical problems? I should say, do you have any medical problems? Why yeah. do I add the word other? I'd never noticed that you did that, but it's a good catch. Yeah. If you, now you won't for sure. I'm, I, I know I'll make a point of not doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a funny thing mm -hmm. because if a nurse is taking your history as you roll in, do you have any other medical problems? It's like, well, do, what's the first one? <laughs> I think <laughs> it's great. great. It is great. All right. So the couple other things here, um, this is something we've probably talked about before, and I want to lead into this more serious thing for the rest of the podcast today. More, it's more on the vaccine issue, which I think most of our listeners are interested in anyway, especially here in California, mm -hmm. which is the loony, loony bin of loony bins. <laughs> All right. But um, how come uh, vaccines are not dosed by weight? For the babies. Yeah, you know, antibiotics, all seizure medicine, all that stuff is dosed by kilogram, mm -hmm. by weight. Yet the same vaccine that you get, the, your your one month old gets, your newborn gets hepatitis. It's it's the same amount. Mm -hmm. So why why is that? Do you have any? I mean, I know it's a rhetorical question. I don't expect an answer. Yeah, I don't have I an think, answer. But I think that's a good answer to ask for people listening to ask their pediatricians. And say, how come all medicine for babies is, is dosed by the weight of the baby except vaccine? Yep, it's a good question. Okay, because you're giving the same neurotoxin or whatever, even, even if it, you don't believe it's a neurotoxin, you're giving the same stuff that's in the vaccine um, to a baby with a volume of distribution that's like one-tenth the same as it might be when they're 16 years old. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, let's, let's get into this. So, so in medical economics, which was, I wanted to get to this last time, but we never got around to it. Um, you had so, so many guests. This is about a month old. Um, John, is there more light in here or is that it? I think that's okay. All right. Good luck, Stuart. Let me get my glasses out. I was going to say, yeah. we need your glasses. Yeah. Hold on. I got to shuffle my papers to get my glasses out. No, I got my glasses. That's fine. <laughs> the spotlight. Yeah. We need the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, glasses on. Now I can't see bliss, but that's okay. I'm still here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I got a lot of stuff here on this. This is um, an information uh, 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 article that came out in Medical Economics, which is a throwaway journal that doctors get once a month. And the, the, the uh, article is titled, 
anti-vax crisis, all right, already a pejorative term. With a very red, <laughs> red and oh. black with a cross. and Yeah, yeah. like poison. Like yeah. that's How physicians can fight misinformation. So I want to stress that this, this is not about vaccines. It's about how physicians can fight the misinformation. So let's just t- start here with things I've highlighted here. Um, confidence in vaccines has wavered as a result of the anti-vaccination movement. Okay. Would you say that's true? I would say that that's probably yes, somewhat true. Okay. But not enough. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> Mistrust of government, drug companies, and healthcare providers, as well as misinformation about vaccines spread anti-vaccine spread by anti-vaccine advocates are also uh, factors fueling the vaccine hesitancy. Okay. CDC data shows the percentage of unvaccinated children is rising mm. with 1.3% of children born in 2015 not receiving any vaccines compared to only 0.9% in 2011. Mm-hmm. So we're still talking about 99% of kids are still getting vaccinated. Right. All right. By the way, I don't like the term anti-vax. Oh, of course, nobody does. Yeah. It's used. It's a pejorative. Yeah. I don't like that right. at all. Yeah. I'm not. It's I'm not like, anti. It's like why do they, they call? You know, no, I'm not. You're anti the vaccine schedule. No, I, I I'm pro-choice. And that too. And autonomy. That is what? exactly what I right. am. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think then the schedule. I mean, I I agree with you 100. percent But I'm mm-hmm. also uh, concerned about giving a six month old or a one year old six vaccines at one visit. Totally. It just seems really ridiculous to totally. do that. Totally. Okay. So then there's a little side box here where they say focusing on measles, and I just have to. This is the guy from Yale, and he says, uh, um, he talks about herd immunity, and I'm still, I'm still troubled by this. I don't really know the definition of herd immunity. Do you know what herd immunity is? No, but I could have looked it up. Okay, well, why don't you start to like browse through that as okay. I peruse this? I don't know that you're going to find one single definition. I thought it was something about 95% is what I thought. You're but looking I, for a number. Well, I just want to know the, the, I, the idea agree. behind it, uh-huh. too. Okay, because everybody talks about it as being important. But this guy goes on to say the estimated cost of responding to a single case of measles can be as high as $142,000. Okay, now I just, you know, I, I suppose if you take the extreme, it can be, but aren't most cases of measles like cost about, you know, 20 bucks? Kid stays home, gets better. Yes. Eats more snacks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. To buy some extra cookies and stuff like that. Yes. Mumps. Video me- game. Measles are, are usually not. So fatal. I'm not sure exactly why they say that it costs $142,000. And then they have 142000 in really large print. See? Mm-hmm. You can't see that, listeners, but uh, I'm just showing it to Bliss. I actually can't because I have my glasses on. Oh, you can't. Okay. Um, herd immunity is a noun. The resistance to the spread of a contagious disease within a population that results if a sufficiency, sufficiently high proportion of individuals are immune to the disease, especially through vaccination. The level of vaccination needed to achieve herd immunity varies but by disease, but ranges be- from between... 83 to 94%. Okay. So we're well above yeah. that. Yeah. So I they get keep your bringing point. it up and mm-hmm. we're at 99%. Yeah. We're okay. well above. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Good point. All right. So that's what I thought. Okay. So then it gets back to, this, to the regular story here. Um, there's an increasing reluctance among some of this doctor's patients to receive immunizations, particularly the influenza vaccine, which some erroneously believe causes the flu. All right. So I, I looked this up at the CDC, and the CDC says it does not cause the flu, but it can trigger immune responses like aches and fever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just laughing because... Because <laughs> that's the flu? <laughs> that's what the flu feels like. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So it doesn't cause the flu. It causes your body to think it has the flu. Right. So you can call it something else. You can call it a, you know, a potato. All right. When, when, he, when a doc, this doctor encounters a patient who's reluctant to receive an immunization, he tries to discuss the science behind vaccines, but says this strategy often fails to change minds. Okay, so here, here, here's where we get into this interesting, I guess interesting is my way of saying sort of strain, weird and I'm uncomfortable with language. Okay, so he says emphasizing the vaccine as the norm. So which techniques can improve physician chances of getting their patients vaccinated? 
One is by making a presumptive statement that assumes the patient will be vaccinated. So this article isn't about whether the vaccines are good or bad. This is article is how to get you to convince your patients to be vaccinated. Right? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. That's, if that's the article, that's the way they want to do it. But for example, he says, rather than asking parents if they're ready for their child to get a shot, a physician might say, it's time for Johnny to get vaccinated. Right. Okay. Another way to do it is, uh, well, by taking the presumptive approach, what you're doing is you're emphasizing vaccination as the social norm. Right. But if presumptive announcements fail, physicians can try motivational interviewing in which they <laughs> try to elicit the reasons why patients are refusing vaccines and then ask permission to share facts. So in other words, it goes like this. What concerns do you have about the vaccine? And the, and the parent answers, and then the doctor says, I've looked into this a great deal. Would it be okay with you if I shared what I've come to find out? That's reasonable. It does sound nice. reasonable. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, simply asking that question makes people more receptive, which is true. In a randomized trial results published in 2018 in JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association, Pediatrics, uh, colleagues found that motivational interviewing helped improve HPV vaccine initiation by 9.5% among parents who were resistant to vaccinating their teens. All right. Mm -hmm. So what I'm annoyed by a little bit is, and again, this article is just it's doing its purpose, but overall, rather than, rather than doing studies with placebos to check for the safety of the vaccine, the NIH is funding research on how to improve vaccine acceptance. And I just find that to be annoying. It is annoying. Okay. So when physicians want to counter a myth outright, they should be clear about labeling the myth as such. If a, for example, if a parent believes that the MMR vaccine causes autism, the physician should say this is a myth. Mm -hmm. Then the physician can reference the wide body of evidence mentioned that several genes have been linked to autism and connect the increasing prevalence of autism to better diagnosis and monitoring of the disorder. So there isn't more autism. We're just picking, we're just calling things more, more things autism. Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. you how do you feel about that one? Um, I think that's possible, but I also think that vaccine injuries are real. And I think that that, you know, that that, that is, that can't be negated. There's, yeah. there's, there's, you know, I know people personally who had babies that were totally fine and then were vaccinated and were not. So whether or not we are diagnosing things more commonly or not, um, I don't think is really the bottom line. The bottom line is that the truth is, is that vaccines do injure some babies severely. Yep. Yeah. So uh, the next segment of this article is closing the doors to non-vaccinated patients, eliminating non-medical mm -hmm. vaccine ex exemptions. Okay, the more measles is in the headlines, the more likely the government will be compelled to act. So what, he, what I get from that statement is that the more we make a small measles outbreak, some national hysteria. Yeah. Because in other words, a, a small local measles outbreak in, say... Bismarck, North Dakota, would never be nationally news prior to the last few years. And now suddenly they may, they're making it into national news very much for that purpose because the more likely the government will be compelled to act, the more, you, the more hysteria you generate. Correct. Physicians are clearly not honestly filling in exemption forms. And this is what he says. So physicians are, are dishonest. The ones who are doing exemption forms are obviously dishonest. Mm -hmm. The presumptions of these people will just gall me. Uh, they're not honestly filling in exemption forms and ignoring the overwhelming scientific consensus that vaccines are safe and effective. It is very important that we increase vaccination rates because vaccines have been arguably the most important public health measure in modern medicine. Well, that may or may not be true, okay? But the rates are 99%. Right. So I don't, I don't understand the, the, the zeal to pass laws that make mandates that take away, as you said, choice individual bodily autonomy never should happen it's a really slippery slope <laughs> for practicality patient safety or other reasons some physicians are dismissing existing patients or refusing new ones if parents do not agree to follow the recommended vaccine schedule yep i hear about that happening yep, often. hear about that all the time mm -hmm. it's just annoying to me that that you know they, well, they should have a non-vaccine day if they want, you know, they shouldn't exi They shouldn't eliminate 
Or, sure. or that's not the right doctor for you. But don't pressure the doctors who want to support people who have this belief system, like going after people like Dr. Sears. You know, like like you deliver breech babies. So people who want to come and have that as an option should be able to have that as an option. You know, if they started to force you to well, not... Well, they will. They will down the road. They yeah. will say that what I do is... But that's not okay illegal. either. You right. were you were taught that it's a reasonable choice for somebody, and and someone deciding to not have vaccines is a reasonable choice too. So if they don't want to have those people in their practice, I don't think my clients should be in their practice because they're not going to get someone who really supports their belief system. Nope. Yeah. And that's what this guy says. This guy goes on to say. This doctor will sometimes stagger shots for children under age two whose parents are reluctant to have them receive several shots at one time. I respect that and don't push that, but I try to get kids caught up as soon as we can. Okay. Um, in Alameda County, which is where Oakland, California is, mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. there were 40 cases of measles had been identified at press time, but none in his practice. I think that's this year, I believe. Okay. Given the threat of future outbreaks, he believes physicians have responsibility to do what they can to improve immunization rates. We respect patients' feelings. However, we are stewards of not only our patients, but also the public health and community at large. Okay, so there were 40 cases in Alameda County at press time in the last year. So I did the math, because you know that's me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I looked it up, and there are 1.66 million people that live in Alameda County. So the chance of the measles outbreaks occurred in 0.00241%. Definitely herd immunity. Yeah, but for that, we're, we're mandating, we're passing laws, mandating it. Yeah. And you know, they passed the law here that, that you know, there's no more medical exemptions. And, and I told everybody I've been talking to that, and everybody who's really serious thinker knows that within a couple of years, It'll be mandatory for adults as well. Yep, it's coming. Right. Well, did I tell you about my DMV experience? So I went. No, but that's that was my connection. Is that they're not going to let you renew your driver's license in the future or something like that? Oh yeah. Well, I'm telling you, I went to do that new. Um, what do they call it? The real ID. Yep. Which is now your passport. I, I did that. I did that six that. months ago. Right. Yeah. And you could just feel it. You could feel it. You went online to register for. You know, have to fill in the thing online, right? right. And then they ask um, if you want to register to vote, and then they ask what party you're in, and then you know what I mean. It's like all, and then it's all connected to this driver's license, which to me seems really creepy. Yep. So yeah, it's well, you know, look at look at they're collecting babies' DNA from newborn screens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why? Whose idea was that? I don't know. It's for research. He's putting air quotes. I'm putting air quotes around (laughs) research. Yeah. Okay. That's right. People can't see that, but all right. So then it says the federal government could withhold health or education funding to states that do not eliminate non-medical vaccine exemptions. Social media platforms could step up their efforts to curtail false information about vaccines. They already have, by the way. So this is this guy's um, article still making these suggestions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To withhold funding if the state doesn't comply. Wow. And uh, to um, have social media, which they already are doing, uh, like I have a warning on my Dr. Stu OBGYN page. What do you mean warning? It just says this page discusses vaccines for... for, for oh, you put it there. No, 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 no. Facebook put it there. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, I got to oh, go it, check it out. Yeah. Well, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's on, t- you know, I saw it. Uh, so many other people have it too. And it says if for information, for, uh, for honest or straightforward information about vaccines, please go to the cdc.com website. And it's on, it's on a header on your, on your Facebook page. What the bleep? Yeah, yeah. I'm serious. That and I, is and I, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I want to go to the, the numbers on the back page here and it says, um, these are cases of measles. I don't know if this is really really that interesting. But in the United States, the number of measles cases in 2014 was 667. In 2015, there were 188 cases. In 2016, 86. We're, we're vaccin- we want to vaccinate everybody because there were 86 cases of measles in 2016. <laughs> 120 in 2012, 372 in 2018. And this year, there's been 1,203 so far. Okay, that's a lot. That's a big increase. Mm-hmm. But nobody really, you know, is there an explanation as to why the increase? Is it because people are less people are being vaccinated? Or is it because we have a lot of people coming in the country who and how, haven't and been vaccinated because they're coming in across and there's, they're, they're coming in 
not legally. I'll just say it that way. Mm-hmm. And nobody's tracking them. Right. And, and they don't have to be vaccinated. The bottom line tourists, is... Tourists don't have to be vaccinated. Right. 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 How many people have died? I don't know. Very few. Right. That's I don't think there's been a death of measles cases in a decade yeah. or more. Right. That's the main, that's the main point. Right. By just comparison, 20 people uh, were killed by lightning in 2018. <laughs> and 36,750 were killed in car accidents. Mm-hmm. All right. So maybe we should start banning cars. Or everybody will be in Teslas. Because they're self-driving. Right. So then. But didn't, the, didn't yeah. But don't, <laughs> didn't they like, uh, what is it? I mean, can a Tesla detect like a. A raccoon or a deer. This is a really good question, but my son showed me a video the other day. I got day. to drive in one recently. My friend Renee has one. Renee, the midwife, has one. Oh, yeah? And we drove up to Rosamond, which is like uh, up in the middle by Edwards Air Force Base, just to do postpartum. She has a self-driving one? It was self-driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was nervous. I was in the passenger seat. <laughs> I was like a wreck. But, they, but the, it really is tracking all the cars. You can see them on the screen. Huh. And it's got. My son showed me a video of someone in the fast lane sleeping. Yeah. In the Tesla. But here's what here's the scary part about it, though. Okay, because one of the one of the, my future podcasts we're going to be talking about non-ionizing radiation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, five G. Yep. And how much? I mean, this car, these cars that are non that are that are self-driving, they have to be loaded with sort of things emanating from them. Sure. Right. Yep. So we don't have any idea the damage that's going to be done. We'll do that in another podcast. Okay. Okay. So then, um, very interestingly, um, do, you, do you know who Sayer G is? No. Uh, Kelly Brogan? You know Kelly Brogan? Yeah. Okay. They're, I, think they, I think they got engaged or they're married or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sayer G is a really a visionary guy. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this gets a little bit sort of complicated, but I wanted to read it because I, I just wanted to honor him a little bit. But he says, he wrote uh, a reflection on vaccination and post-germ theory. And I'm just going to read this one paragraph. He says, what are viruses but invisible particles? As such, anyone who claims to know their whereabouts and their potential for harm becomes the arbiter of the ultimate truth and in practical terms can direct others to do their bidding, including invading and occupying sovereign states under global health security auspices as the U.S. and the U.N. had done with Ebola outbreaks especially where there exists a deadly invisible particle neutralizer, i.e. a vaccine. The very existence of such a magical device implies that not using it would be unethical, or worse, criminal. In fact, so important and necessary would be this viral neutralizer that it should be mandated. Otherwise, certain death would ensue. Hence goes the make-believe narrative presently foisted upon billions globally. Hmm. And he, says, and he says, another thing about this magical device called a vaccine, this device, when applied preemptively against said invisible particle, is, quote, proven effective due to a subsequent non-event. So in other words, you didn't get hepatitis, therefore it must have been the hepatitis vaccine that prevented you from doing it. That's you not provable. Not have, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, can't read my handwriting here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Diminution of lethal viral illnesses was occurring before vaccines ever were invented. Public health, utilities, clean water, sewage treatment were all helping helping to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. So the what he says is really really smart. Okay, that that we're 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 taking an invisible particle and we're using an invisible antiparticle and we're saying that that's how that's working. So I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, and then, uh, let's see, there's one other thing. I have a little, I think I have something here from Kelly. Oh, no, you know what? That's on ultrasound. That's going to be for next time because I, I, they both, for some reason, they both came up at the same time and I happen to know both of them. I haven't met Sayer, but I, I've talked to him on, on online and Kelly and I were to, presented at a conference a few years back. Isn't together. she the one that just came out with a book? She came out with a new book? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll talk about that on one of our upcoming podcasts. Okay. Anyway, I so I mean, I, I just, I think we, um, we have to talk about vaccine stuff because it's really a big deal and especially here in California. Yes. And just today I got my new ACOG sent out the new flu vaccine guidelines and I thought I'd just mention a couple of things here. Um, 
It's, oh, excuse me. It's, well, flu and hepatitis A. All right. Again, it's recommended that everyone over six months of age receive a yearly flu vaccine. Yep. Everyone. Have you ever had one? Nope. Me neither. John, have you ever Do had you a flu vaccine? John hasn't either. Do you want to know how many times I've gotten the flu? Once. Once. Yeah. And probably 20 years yep. ago. Yep. I mean, I thought I had the flu when I had that infection, but yep, I don't get sick. No, Very, yeah, that on, was different, yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah, did you have all the diseases when you were a kid, like measles and mumps, or did you get vaccinated for those? Uh, no vaccines, and I've never had any, not even chicken pox. Oh, really? By the way. Mm-mm. My sisters had one, and yeah. I never got any. Yeah, because I had them all. And I was afraid at each pregnancy, right? Or And none of my kids have had it. By the way. They're also recommending hepatitis A vaccine to all to. Um, uh, they did not identify any concerning pattern of adverse events giving it to pregnant women. They say say that one again. Hepatitis A vaccine. Oh, okay. Hepatitis they, A is is, is oral fecal it. route sometimes in mm-hmm, food. Mm-hmm. All right. So they they they're recommending again. The CDC recommends all children over one year of age get hepatitis A vaccine. People with homelessness, yeah, you're going to really get them to come in and get vaccinated, right? <laughs> well, you could go give it to them, I guess. I guess. Um, and then persons at increased risk for infection, which probably are immunosuppressed people, compromised people, that sort of thing. Uh, I just, you know, I just, again, they're coming, everything is recommendation for this, and it almost seems like every vaccine is universally recommended. And that's the norm now. Well, you know, from what you and I have talked about, um, vaccines are not have not been tested in pregnant women to be safe, right? Proven to be safe? I don't think that vaccines have been tested in anybody proven to be safe. They've never done, you know, since 1986 when there were, I think there were 16 vaccines in 1986 and now there's 72. Mm -hmm. And since 1986 when they passed the law that said that uh, they gave uh, essentially immunity from being sued to pharmaceutical companies and doctors for vaccine injury, and that's where they formed the Vaccine Injury Compensation Act. Mm-hmm. Um, the the testing they don't have to do it's it's considered a biologic and not a drug, so it doesn't have to undergo the same testing that say your antihypertensive medicine or your antibiotic has to do because of biologic. So they never have to test it against placebo. They test it against other toxins, mm-hmm. and if the side effect profile is the same, then they say, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with the vaccine." No, but they're both. I mean. You're injecting toxins into people. You're making some people sick, but it's at the same rate as the vaccine. So therefore, um, they consider it safe. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is really so. There's solid science. So I there's say. a midwife on um, Instagram who posted yesterday that she gets the flu shot, and she doesn't want to argue with people about whether or not you know vaccines are safe. She, she this is her. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with people voluntarily choosing right. to get it. Um, she said she gets the flu shot every year because she works with babies. Um, and that in the United States, 37 to, uh, let's see, each year, 7,000 to 26,000 children under the age of five will be hospitalized from the flu in the United States. 37 to 187 of these children will die each year. While that, um, number is statistically minuscule, um, that she believes that this is a much better solution. The flu is there shot any data, is safer. Is there any data far. to suggest that the flu shot prevent, lowers those numbers? She's making the assumption that if everyone got the flu shot, those numbers would be lower. Mm-hmm. There's no data to say that. They should do it. They should do a study in, in some one city or one university's hospital or something like that and find out whether it makes a difference. The problem is, is that you know, not everybody in the hospital wants to be vaccinated, so they have to walk around with those silly masks on all the time. Right. Why right. does she say the flu shot is safer by far than the flu? Well, I, I don't, because I don't think people die from the flu shot. Okay? So by safer, it depends on what she means by safe. Everybody who, uh, not everybody, but, but not everybody, but the flu shot often doesn't cover the flu. Right. They're just guessing every year when they, right. make, when they make the flu vaccine. Right. And a lot of people say that they end up getting the flu when they get the flu shot. Well, but I just read to you. Yes. No, they get aches and fever. Yes. From the flu shot, but it's not the flu. (laughs) So it's not contagious in that way. No, people who get the flu shot who probably, I mean, according to what the CDC says, Mm -hmm. hard to know what to believe anymore. It's hard to, there's a lot of, it's all fake news. It's all, you know, you don't know 
what to believe in science, in politics, and you just don't know what to believe anymore. You can't right. believe it. It's really hard to know these days. But yeah, if you're giving, and I don't know if the flu is attenuated live virus, I don't remember what the flu vaccine is, but I don't think people who give the flu vaccine who start to feel crappy are contagious to other people. Right. I think they feel crappy because they're having an immune response that makes them feel crappy, but it's not in response to the to a virus that they then suddenly start sneezing or coughing and they're spreading to other people. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it's a lot of information today. <laughs> Thanks for covering that. Well, it's, it's really important. It is. Uh, I'm still, my jaw is still dropping open about the fact that you have a warning on your, like that just, I, yeah, I'm really yeah. shocked. Yeah, I'm surprised I don't have one for like this, 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 page discover, discusses breach breach deliveries too. tell facebook to get off your page well it's an interesting thing you know because i wrote i wrote that response um to i, I wrote a response I, or i posted something on facebook about vaccines and all i was doing was talking about what's going on in california with the man with sb with sb 276 and mm-hmm. 714 mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and then you know, in the comments section of that, you know, everybody's like fairly supportive and and thumbs up and hearts and likes mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And I got one comment from a woman named Janie who called me a right-wing nut. She said, I used to think that everything that you said was great, but now that I see you're just another right-wing nut. Hmm. And I'm a right-wing nut because I'm questioning what's happening in Sacramento and in California. This woman lives in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Okay. And with all respect, Janny, if you're listening, which you probably aren't anymore, um, you have no idea what's going on in California and, and, and the totalitarian nature of what, of what Bliss talked about before is taking away of individual choice. Yeah. Being for individual choice doesn't make one right wing or, 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 or anything else. It makes one very American. And maybe in your country, it's a little different, your background, your history. But in this country, freedom is something we value really highly. We're, n- we're not socialists. And we like, we like individual liberty, individual responsibility. And so I just thought it was funny that because I was speaking out against what Sacramento was doing, that made me a right-wing nut. I may be. <laughs> but, but but not for that reason. But you can't call me that. <laughs> okay, and we should end with uh with this. I got one other s- sort of silly thing here. Um, do you know that Yahoo Mail does not recognize the word doula? <laughs> no, I I know that. Yeah, it, not just Yahoo. Oh, on mine too. Oh, what what mail do you use? Hotmail. Hotmail. Yeah. So you type doula and it and it thinks you mistyped it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's not a commonly known term, I suppose. It's in the dictionary. Yeah. There's a lot of words that like are medical terms and stuff that don't come up properly in, in there. Yeah. So. Well, doula is not a medical term. No, no. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, you know, they, it'll recognize things like woke or, uh, you know, or, you know, they, they came up with some whole new language. I mean, the, the Webster's Dictionary added a whole bunch of new things. Like now they added to the um, definition of they. Oh. Now yeah. is a singular you know, pronoun for people that don't want to be called he or she. I'm not, that's not the right definition, but they're adding, they're changing and adding these things in. That's it's great. Like, things like doula should be in the, uh, in the uh, spell check of most. Right then. So if you're listening, Yahoo, you're listening in. And if, you know, if Tim Cook is listening on my iPhone while we're talking. or We expect you to catch Zuckerberg up. or all those people. Yeah, fix it up. Fix it, guys. <laughs> so anyway, so that, uh, that does it. that's about it, I think. Okay. It's good to be back. Yeah. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. We shouldn't go this long. I know. Um, Way too long. It is too long. It's going to be better now that I'm I'm in the valley. Yeah, you were really, yeah. And you were also just, you were, you were incognito. And then I was gone for two weekends. That's right. So that was gone. That's right. It's not always me. (laughs) It's you. It's usually you. (laughs) Don't listen to him. It's not true. It is true. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so this has been what? Podcast 154. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm Stuart Fishbein with my sidekick, Bliss Young. You can reach me at gmail.com. We do like getting your mail. I'm going to read some, uh, one email at least next uh, next podcast. And uh, you can reach Bliss at? Birthingbliss.com. You can, uh, you can write me there. And we know that you have 
a zillion different podcasts on your podcast app to listen to. So we are really pleased and honored that you continue to tune in to us. Uh, you can find us at iTunes. I think we've just actually changed formats now, so we should be able to get some better uh, reception. Some of our podcasts were dropping out. But nonetheless, we are really honored to do that. So we'll see you at the next podcast. Until then. Bye-bye.